You're listening to the Eltham Baptist Church podcast. One of the problems with raising your children overseas is that planning a holiday is never the same again. And I remember sitting around our kitchen table here in Eltham, at our home in Eltham on one occasion, and we we actually had a, a, a set of holidays coming up, but no particular plans. And I guess Bron and I were kind of wondering, well, what, what will we do? And we're thinking a little bit like most, most families, you know, Rosebud, maybe, oh, I don't know, maybe the Great Ocean Road, but a little bit of a road trip, maybe, not too far, far enough. And uh, so we opened it up for discussion. You know, we've got some holidays coming up. Where, where should we go? And um, I think one of the first suggestions was Budapest. Yeah. We've never been to Budapest. And then somebody else says, I like the Maldives. You know, when we were there last time, and, uh, and then the next, and Bron and I are just staring at each other like, what, 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 what planet are you from? Like, you know, people just don't go overseas to these exotic destinations, but I guess in some respects that had been our life for many, many years, not by design, but by God's, God's providence, we had found ourselves in some very, very interesting places in Africa and all over the world, and it was inconceivable to think that we might just go to Rosebud. Like, like, like why, why would you do that? <laughs> I wonder what your perfect holiday would be. What, what, is, what is that place that you just love to be? You'd love to be. Maybe right now you're thinking of, of heat and palm trees or, or something similar to that. But what would be your perfect holiday? What's the place that, that you want to be? We're going to talk about it tonight. I'm going to tell you the place, or this morning rather, getting ahead of myself. I'm going to tell you the place, apparently, that all of us, all of us really want to be. We've been looking at, um, in the book of Joshua, at the, the journey of the Israelites, finally out of the wilderness and their nomadic wanderings, across the Jordan River into the west side, where God had had made them many, many promises, promises that they now had to lay hold of. Now, this has been some journey, and, and we, talked, we talked last week a little bit about what it, what it would take for them to consecrate themselves in this new land and, and set themselves apart for God. We, we come to this amazing little passage. I'm sure you've read it before, but I'm going to read it to you again. After the nation of Israel has a very special time of consecration, Now Joshua himself, the leader, also is called to an encounter with God that I believe would never leave him the same again. Let me read this to you, just a couple of verses really, in Joshua chapter 5, starting at verse 13. Joshua chapter 5, verse 13 and You can scroll through your Bibles with me. Now, when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, 
are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, What message does my Lord have for his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. There it is, just a few verses but a profound encounter for Israel's new leader. Verse 13, we get this sense that Joshua now, the nation is ready, the men of the tribe are are healing after their ceremony of consecration. And perhaps as they are healing, Joshua has time on his hands and as As the leader, he starts to scout out the land and he comes to Jericho and he he lays eyes on it, perhaps the most fortified city that he has ever seen. And he starts thinking to himself, how are we going to do this? Now, the Lord had done great things amongst them. He had dried up the Jordan River just as he had the Red Sea with Moses Surely the Lord was with them. Everybody was struck in fear as they heard these stories. And yet Joshua, as he surveyed the land, could have been forgiven for going around and around in his mind. How are we going to do this? Have you you ever done that? Have you ever had a problem to solve? Even even a promise from God that you thought that he had given you. And and now you're trying to nut out, how are you going to do this, God? And we can just go around and around and around and around. You're used to it. In our thinking, how are you going to do this? How are you going to fulfill your promises? Sometimes we get so tired just going around and around and and around again, that we, we start to lose hope. We start to give up that God ever did promise that. We, we start to kind of diminish his promises a little bit to us. We start to kind of feel like, you know what? I, <laughs> I must have got it wrong. And then maybe Joshua could have been forgiven for thinking that as well. Looking at this fortified city, maybe he thought to himself, Maybe we weren't supposed to take Jericho. Maybe we were supposed to just, I don't know, make friends with them. Maybe we were supposed to just be happy with the land outside of those walls. Do we really have to take this city? Around and around and around we go again. Did God really promise that? Did God really say that? Is that from God? They're all the, the whispers of the enemy. And then suddenly, Joshua is confronted by a rather, a rather strange thing. Somehow, how did he sneak up on me? Somehow, there is a man and his sword is drawn. You could be forgiven 
with Joshua being the, the warrior he was, you could be forgiven for thinking he spied somebody in the distance who walked towards them and drew their sword. And, and so, but no, suddenly he sees this man. How did he sneak up on me? And there he is standing right in front of him with sword drawn. Now, that's going to mean one of two things, offensive or defensive. I'm here to help you or I'm, I'm, I'm here to not help you. But the sword is drawn, and he means business. Here is a man before Joshua who means business. And, and, and Joshua is taken by surprise. And looking at this man and looking at this situation, well, he asks the obvious question, whose side are you on? <laughs> are you for me or against me? Are you for me or are you for the enemies? Where would you come from? And likewise, when it seems that God is slow to answer our prayers, when it seems that we have this host of unfulfilled promises and God just doesn't seem to be coming through the way that we thought he may have come through, we can be tempted to ask the same question. God, are you for me or against me? God, are you with me in this? God, are we really going to take the land or not? Come on, whose side are you on, God? And so we come to this, this incredible little encounter. And the man says, neither, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Another version translate this, I have come to you as the commander of the Lord's army. I have come to you as. He comes as. You know, I think for many of us in the Christian life, God comes to us in different ways, and we have, we have seen him come to us as Savior and Lord, but but there's more to him than that. He's immutable. He doesn't change. God never changes. But there are different aspects to his character that at different times are revealed to us. One thing we know for sure is when we ask, who is this guy? What is this encounter? Is this a, a man, a saint? Is it an angel? Or is it God himself? The answer becomes quite clear. Neither men nor angels, men sent of God or angels, allow God's servants to bow down and worship them. So clearly, this is more than a man on a mission, and it is more than an angel. For God is jealous about his worshippers. He doesn't let them worship or bow down to just anyone. And the fact that he would then go on and claim that this is holy ground seems to answer the question once and for all, this is what we sometimes call, theologically speaking, a Christophany, an encounter with Jesus Christ himself. Here he is. And on this occasion, he says to Joshua, I have come to you as 
Moses, the commander of the Lord's army. Now, of course, we have a second Joshua. His name is Jesus, and he appears to us in Scripture. But we are here in the Old Testament getting a glimpse of Christ that we don't often see. Um, Let me just take you briefly through Revelation. For in the vision given to John in Revelation, we we see a little bit of this this character of Jesus. In in Revelation chapter 1, actually, let me... Let me just read to you uh, a couple of couple of verses. But John is caught up in a vision, and he sees a son of man. And there are striking similarities here. Someone like a son of man, in verse thirteen, dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet and with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all of its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Now, in chapter 1, we, we have this, this vision of Jesus. Um, chapters uh, 2 and 3 is, is his commands, his letters to the churches. This is what I say to the churches. Chapter 4 is this vision of heaven, the throne room of God. We, we sing a contemporary song, don't we? The Revelation song. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. That's the chorus of the creatures as they, as they hover above the throne of God, the 24 elders bowing down and bringing their bowls of incense, the prayers of God's people going up. It's an incredible scene. And then the one on the throne, God has a scroll, and this scroll is, is the answer to all of the world's problems. And the question is, Who can break the seal on the scroll so that God's purposes, his good and holy and righteous purposes in the world can be enacted? And there was no one. There was no one who was found holy enough. There was no one worthy to take the scroll out of God's hand who could approach that throne of God, take the scroll, break the seal, open it up and enact, speak out the purposes of God. No one could do it. All was lost, it seemed. John breaks down weeping. And then one of the elders says to him, don't weep, it's okay, look. And before him was a lamb that looked like it had been slain. The lamb of God. And he was able to approach the throne. The lamb was able to approach the throne, take the scroll, open it. That's chapter 5. And then chapters chapters 6 through 11, we have firstly seven seals. And the first of the six seals are various purposes of God. But but after the the sixth seal is broken, there's half an hour of just quiet. There's quiet in heaven. Imagine that. Half an hour of just, just quietness.
Why imagine it? Relax. (laughs) And then the seventh seal. And the seventh seal is broken. And now we see a different side to Christ. In those first few chapters, here is the lamb that was slain, meek and mild. This is our Savior. As the seventh seal is broken, there are now seven trumpets, and and it is this lamb that was slain, this this Jesus, that is going to enact God's purposes as each trumpet sounds. And now we get a very, very different picture. In um, chapter 19, verses 11 to 16, Before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire. Ring a bell? This is, this is the Jesus of chapter 1. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. Now, we're going to come back to that. This warrior has a name that nobody else knows but he himself. What is that name? In a moment, we're going to find out, I believe. He has a name that nobody knows but for himself. He is dressed in a robe Dipped in blood, and his name is the word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written. King of kings and Lord of lords. Now, my, my sense in here is that in Revelation you have cycles and you have repetition. That, that there is a repetition going on here. That firstly we find out that, that this one is called faithful and true. But then we, here's the repetition. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood. Whose blood is that? It's his blood. Because he has been faithful to the purposes of God. He is faithful. And then he is also called true. His name is the word of God. He is the only one in all the earth that is true. With justice he judges and wages war. The armies of heaven, we read, are following him. His eyes are like blazing fire, and yes, out of, he is able to judge, and out of his mouth he passes judgment, a sharp sword to strike down the nations. On his head are many crowns, and then the repetition goes. He will rule them with an iron scepter, and he treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. And then finally... We see that there is a name that nobody else knows. Well, what is that name? And now I believe we see it declared on his robe and on his thigh. He has this name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. This is our Jesus. 
You've known him as your savior, meek and mild. But now here he is as your Lord, mighty and majestic. I believe that Joshua was encountering the pre-incarnate Christ, not yet as Savior, but very much as Lord. You know him as Savior, but do you know him as Lord? This is a little frightening, isn't it? This isn't Jesus meek and mild, my Savior. This is Jesus mighty and majestic, my Lord. And we're right to ask, a little bit like Joshua, ooh, whose side you on? Whose battle is it that you are fighting here? And he answers, emphatically, neither. I'm not on your side, and I'm not on their side. There's a lot more going on here. There's a lot more to this picture. But I come to you as commander of the army of the Lord. This is how I come to you, commander of the army of the Lord. Of God. He's here not to fight your battle or somebody else's battle. He's here to fight God's battle. And sometimes we confuse the two for the one. Sometimes we figure that, well, isn't God's battle my battle? Isn't my battle God's battle? Apparently not. Apparently not. Um, there is a much bigger battle going on here. We see a little bit of this in Revelation chapter 12. I, I think there is that moment, is there not, in the life of every Christian, where you ask yourself, why is this so tough? Why is this so hard? I'm sure this is not what I subscribe to. I was sold a much different kind of Christianity. <laughs> That's the beer and Skittles one. We refer to it from time to time. But then all of a sudden in Revelation 12, we see that in the heavenly realm, there is a very different picture. There is a dragon. Well, we don't like dragons. Dragons can't be good. Dragons usually... Mean bad things. And, and I sorry to spoil this for you, but but Shrek is wrong in this regard. Dragons can be good. No, they can't. No, they can't. And I know this is gonna be tough for many of us. The Bible or DreamWorks? The Bible or DreamWorks? The Bible or DreamWorks? I am going to beg you today to go with the Bibles. Dragons are bad. They're always bad and they're not redeemable. Okay? There you have it. Bad dragons. We have a dragon suddenly pursuing the people of God. That's us. He stands on the seashore 
wanting to consume God's people. Chapter 12, verse 17. This hopefully just helps make sense of life for you. Then the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to wage war against the rest of her offspring, those who keep God's commands and hold fast their testimony about Jesus. Who are God's offspring? Those who keep God's commands and hold fast their testimony about Jesus. Who is their enemy, their real enemy? The dragon. Dragons are bad. It's in Scripture. You don't want dragons coming after you. That dragon, we're told in earlier verses, verse 9, that great dragon who was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan who leads the whole world astray, he was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. Okay, how does this end? There is no mystery here. In chapter 19, did you know... We often talk about the great banquet, don't we? And we're all going to share the great banquet with God. Did you know that there's a supper before the banquet? And you're kind of thinking, whoa, 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 nobody told me about the great supper. I heard about the great banquet. Nobody told me about the great supper. How come I didn't get an invite to the great supper? Well, this is why. Verse 19, here's the great supper, comes before the great banquet. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. That's the one who is King of kings and Lord of lords. Okay? And then um, I saw an angel standing in the sun who cried in a loud voice to all the birds flying in midair, Come, gather for the great supper of God. So this angel is calling to the birds in the air and telling them it's supper time. Come to the great supper of God so that you may eat the flesh of kings and generals and the mighty of horses and their riders and the flesh of all people, free and slave, great and small. Then I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to wage war against the rider on the horse and his army. But the beast was captured and with it, the false prophet who had performed the signs on his behalf. The two of them were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. The rest were killed with the sword coming out of the mouth of the rider and the horse. And all the birds gorged themselves on their flesh. That's why you didn't get an invite to the Great Supper. (laughs) The Great Supper is the precursor to the Great Banquet. This is where your warrior god finishes it once and for all. This is where justice finally rules. This is where all of the prayers of God's people are answered. And by the way, going back to those seals and those trumpets, there is a question there of the martyrs who are lying under the altar of God. How long, God, how long do you answer our prayers? How long until finally you vindicate us? And Jesus Christ, who comes as the warrior, reassures them, not long now, not long, be patient. I'm coming. And he rules with justice, absolute justice. 
You know, I guess there are many who question the ways of God, question the rightness of his actions, question his his word and his rule. And how can you do this, God, and how can you do that? But he is the judge of all the earth. He is just and true, and he is the only one who is just and true. We don't understand his ways, trust in his character. Here is God coming as warrior, and he is fighting a battle that is far bigger than your battle and my battle. In the spiritual realm, there is another battle going on. And it helps us to understand that. Our battles, the little battles that we serve, our battles serve a much bigger purpose. And this might be, this might be helpful for your perspective in this matter or that. God, how do I make sense of this? Just remember, you may not be able to. But remember this, it's a promise. There is a far bigger purpose to all of life's battles. Do you know, it is one of God's gifts to us. There is the pain of suffering and just all that this life offers up. And it comes to all of us. There's that pain. But there's the double pain when it doesn't have meaning. There's pain in this life, no doubt about it. There are battles to face. There are difficulties. There are challenges. There are crises. All of that is real. You have very real battles. There's no doubt about it. But like salt to the wound, the double pain is when all of that doesn't make sense and it has absolutely no meaning. Well, here you can be reassured. Your battle is very, very real. But it is only part of a much bigger battle. It is part of a purpose that transcends your circumstances and goes into all of eternity and will finally and ultimately accomplish accomplish God's good and perfect purposes. Justice will prevail. And your battle is just a part of the unfolding of God's plans, that scroll being enacted that will ultimately one day accomplish God's purposes. You can be assured of that. You do not have to experience the double pain of there being no meaning to your suffering. That is not for God's people. Your suffering has meaning. It plays into the greater purposes of God and will result, amen, in his ultimate justice for all. We can, in this regard, avoid much disappointment in the Christian life if we can simply understand that it is we who are to serve God's purposes, not God who is to serve ours. And this is now becoming very clear for Joshua. His natural and immediate instinct is, whose side are you on? (laughs) Are you serving my purposes or are you serving their purposes? Neither. Your situation is serving my purposes. Your battle is really about a much bigger battle. Remember 
years ago, I was invited. It's a very, very strange invitation, but I was invited to go and speak at a cult. This cult had one thing going for it. They, they didn't tinker with the Word of God. They didn't somehow dig up or, surprise, surprise, discover some golden tablets or something else. No, they, they had the Word of God. They just weren't great at interpreting it. Well, leadership changed over the years, and, and as a son took over from a father, this is a worldwide organization. If I named it, you'd know it. But worldwide organization, as a son took over from a father, he applied a more orthodox interpretation of God's scriptures, and slowly God started to work throughout this entire cult, adjusting them and aligning them and bringing them into orthodox Christianity. Well, this was amazing. It was, it was incredible. These people had been caught up in, you know, really a, a religious cult up until this point. Um, I would say up until this point it had been um, man's, man's attempt to reach out for God, whereas true Christianity is all about God's attempt to reach out to us. Finally, they were discovering that. And I was asked to speak at their youth conference, and I was down in Frankston, and I, I must say that, that I thought, ah, oh, that, that day... It was a Saturday morning. Why don't I take my boys, um, Dan and Nat, and uh, their friend James, and, and they were young enough that they were going to be entertained um, suitably with colouring in books. So they were they were pretty young at the time. And I thought, yeah, yeah, I'll I'll, I'll speak the conference. No worries. And uh, sounds interesting. And afterwards, we'll go to McDonald's. I take the boys to McDonald's, and we'll go down to Frankston Beach and so forth. And my mind was just, I don't, yep, yep, yep. Anyway, we arrived, we arrived there at the, the Civic Center and in the hall where, where this youth gathering was and, and parked and got in there. And I got the, the boys, as I say, were young. I got them there, and they were there with their coloring in books and crayons. And so I thought, great, great. All right, you, you guys all good? And then I thought, oh, toilet. I've got, to, I've got to think like a parent here, as well as a speaker. Quick. Okay, let's all go to the toilet. So, so we all did that and finished up. And I remember just washing my hands at the basin and then being struck with a sudden and, and uh, nausea that, that had just come out of nowhere. And I remember actually just going hot, like just flushing with nausea. I was going to be so I grabbed the basin. I thought, Whoa, weird. What is that? And I thought, I, I feel 100%. Well, I did seconds ago. Like, a, a no, no hint of any sickness, nothing coming on. This is crazy. And, and as I was literally leaning over the basin, I thought, I can't speak. I won't be able to speak. This is crazy. And then all of a sudden, I thought about my battle here. And it was a sudden alert. Wow, I think there is a bigger battle going on here. I think I've totally been underestimating what it is that God wants to do here in this situation. And I can't say in that moment the nausea passed. In fact, it didn't. I just got the boys to, you go back inside, you go back inside. I grabbed my phone, I rang, rang Bron, and she had a friend with her, and I said, the strangest thing has just happened. I feel, I feel sick as a dog, a sick dog, that is. Because <laughs> some dogs can feel well, but I was feeling like the sick ones. And, and I said, you're going to pray for me, please. And so they, they went into prayer. And, and again, the, there was no immediate relief. It was just pushing through. And, and wow, I had never experienced anything like this before. But suddenly I became aware, this is not my little battle. 
I happen to be battling as part of a much bigger battle that's going on in the heavenly realm right now. Our battle is really a part of a much bigger battle, a much more universal battle. And and Joshua was suddenly introduced to, to that thought. And he responds beautifully. He falls face down to the ground in reverence and asks, what message does my Lord have for his servant? You know, in those moments when we realize the lordship of Christ, he's not just my savior, he is the Lord. And he is is God's commander, he is God's warrior to fulfill God's purposes in the world. When we yield to him in that moment, it's a very, very precious thing. Again, John, when he saw the vision, he fell face down like a dead man. I imagine that he's talking about some sort of like paralysis that just, he didn't know what to say. He didn't know what to do. He just, wow, he saw the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords like he'd never seen before. And he just falls right down like a man who was dead. That moment of yielding before his lordship is a precious thing. It's freeing, it's liberating, it's amazing. And it means different things for us at different times, doesn't it? Um, In that moment, it was pushing through. Yielding to God as I was speaking at that conference, in that moment was to push through. It was to take my stand. It was to say, no, I'm not going to pack up the kids and say, sorry, folks, I'm feeling like a sick dog, I'm going home. It was not to do that, but it was to actually just push through and trust him. I I remember going in and sitting down and and they started up their worship. They really, coming out of a cult, they weren't used to worship like we're used to. They, uh, They didn't actually have a song. They just opened in prayer and said, over to Pastor Stewart. I figured, dang, I was kind of really hoping for about 20 minutes here of good worship just to kind of let the tummy settle. But uh, okay, there we are. So there was no sense in which the audience was prepared. Nobody, nothing had happened. They hadn't all joined their, their hearts in song together to, you know, enter into the Holy of Holies. Nothing. It was just, right, hello. And as I grabbed the podium, still just wanting to hang on to something because I was feeling so sick. I yielded to God. God, I believe, has called me to preach. I'm going to preach. I don't know how it's going to look. I may be sick any moment, and that would be interesting. (laughs) But here we go. I'm yielding. (laughs) (laughs) You know, yielding to God when he reveals himself to you as Lord is a precious, beautiful thing. Brother and I had to had to make a very, very difficult decision years ago with regards to our, our ministry. Man, it, we had so much pressure to take a particular course of action. You wouldn't believe it. Almost, almost every voice in our life was saying, you really need to do this. And we had no peace about it. What do you do with that? We had absolutely no peace about it whatsoever. We thought, if we take this course of action... Everything that we understand about hearing from God, everything we understand about listening to his voice, it would be wrong and we would be, as far as we can tell, disobedient. 
So this is one of those moments when we cannot listen to men. We have to listen to God and we just took a stand. We yielded. We thought, this is a matter of his lordship. This is all about, will we his servants, regardless of the fallout, will we his servants simply, though it makes no sense at all, will we simply do as he says? Will we yield? We decided we can do no other. To whom else would we turn? And so we yielded. And I remember after the meeting in which, in which that took place, going back to the car, and as we shut the doors, the feeling was intense. It was sublime. It was beautiful. Bron burst into tears, like tears of relief, but they were good tears. They were, oh, we made the right decision. We did it. This was exactly what we were supposed to do. And it was like this huge weight, this massive burden had just been lifted off us. It was freeing, liberating, exhilarating. It was amazing. We were trying to find words for it. Later on, we would, we would actually say it was like, it was purifying. It was like, had we done the other thing, it, it would have left us feeling dirty. It was incredible. And I, I, I thought for a moment that feeling, that exhilarating feeling of just being right in God's eyes and having his full pleasure just shine upon us, I thought, wow, this is just a glimpse. This is just a, it'll pass. Imagine that being our daily experience for all eternity. Imagine that moment when he declares, welcome, good and faithful servant, and we enter into, for all eternity, to the presence of God to enjoy his pleasure upon us. Imagine that feeling forever and forever and forever. I believe that's what heaven will be like. The pleasure of God bestowed upon us like wave after wave after wave, when you think you can't take any more, the pleasure of God again. Oh, what an incredible thing. Again, going back to this, this conference, a few minutes in, all of a sudden, the sickness just dissipated. I, 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 I felt good again. I just felt right. I just felt like myself. And and I was able to speak, and I spoke for times, times, and half a time, seeing as we're in Revelation. And I got to the end, and I sort of couldn't think of any particularly good appeal necessarily, but I just, I just felt, wow, I don't know, I've never spoken to a cult before. Um, but here's the gospel, and, and uh, I don't know, do they do appeals or not? I mean, there hasn't been any music yet. And, I, and there was a, a little keyboard up there, and I thought they might have something in mind, but there was... I was the guest speaker. I, I didn't know how all of this worked, but I just, I just thought, well, I, 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 think, I think I should give an opportunity for response. And I guess there was about 100 people in the room, and I, I gave the sort of a really low-key response, just nothing kind of, you know, emotional and heavy and just a kind of a, listen, if this... You sense God has spoken to you today and you want to say, yes, Lord. 
Maybe you want to stand. And I was ready to go on, and half the audience just stood. And <laughs> oh, oh, there we go. <laughs> wow, Lord. <laughs> and a few more stood, and a few more stood, and it was just so easy. And, and suddenly, I saw all that God was up to. And here, all of these young people coming out of this religious cult and legalism, all of a sudden into the freedom and the liberty and the enjoyment and the wonder and the awe and the joy of God, of just being at peace with Him and in relationship with Him. It was a beautiful, beautiful thing. In those moments when we yield to God, we suddenly find ourselves in a very special place, the place we've always wanted to be. And yes, if you haven't guessed it yet, that place is holy ground. That's what it is. We yield to his lordship because he comes to us as commander of God's armies and we find ourselves on holy ground. The commander of the Lord's army replied, take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. The place where you are standing is holy. You know, the holiness of God is like a magnetic force attracting or repelling metal objects based on their alignment. Holiness and unholiness cannot coexist. As the holiness of God advances, unholiness, all that is sinful and fallen, must retreat. It's a spiritual principle that both transcends this world and yet also permeates every aspect of our daily lives. That which is unholy simply cannot stand in the presence of God. It must yield. It's at the core of the holy wars that Joshua is about to embark on, and it demands absolute allegiance, total surrender, wholehearted dedication, and unreserved submission. It's also at the core of the war for human souls. When the Holy Spirit comes into a person, he demands all of us. He must have absolute allegiance, total surrender, wholehearted devotion, and unreserved submission. The King of kings and the Lord of lords who appeared to Joshua also appears to us. The ground on which he treads is holy ground. All else must yield. And we do well to acknowledge this now. For one day, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that he is Lord. And it's better for that revelation to come to us as a relief rather than a regret. The holiness of God is a beautiful thing. And when we see it, and that's what we are seeing when we see the Lordship of Christ, when we see it and yield to it, we find ourselves on holy ground. It's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful place to be. It's the place you want to be.
Joshua is told, you're standing here on, on holy ground. Actually, the word stand in Hebrew, when we translate it into English, you could use the word tarry, be positioned. Um, you are standing on holy ground. You are positioned on holy ground. You are tarrying on holy ground. You are remaining on holy ground. You are abiding on holy ground. It's the same word in the Greek. We will translate it the same way. You're abiding on holy ground right now. So loosen your shoes. Literally, take your shoes off. Loosen your shoes. Why? Well, yes, there is that, there is that sense, just like in, in Asia, where all of a sudden you take off your shoes at the door before you enter a home or a restaurant or whatever the building might be. Why? Because, well, you've been out in the dirt, haven't you? You've been out on the road. You've been stepping on snails and all sorts of things. Unclean stuff. So you take your shoes, which are unclean, off because you are now going into a clean space. You leave the unclean at the door because now you're going into the clean the same thought is here. You're on holy ground. So take off everything that is unholy and, and put that aside because the two don't mix. You're now on holy ground. Take off your shoes. And Joshua did so. Because what is unclean has no place in the presence of God. But there's another aspect to this as well. You don't need your shoes. Why would you want to go anywhere? You're in the place that you're supposed to be. You're in the place that you've always wanted to be. This is the perfect place for you to be. So why not tarry? Why not remain? Why not abide? You don't need your shoes for the moment. Just abide in the presence of God. This is a holy place. I believe that's God's invitation for us as well. As believers, His Holy Spirit takes up residence within us, and we are asked to remain in Him, and He will remain in us. Abide in Him, and He will abide in us. The abiding presence of God, His holy presence, is in you, and it's in I. So take off your shoes. Take off your shoes because this is a holy place, a clean place, and and anything and everything that is unclean, it has no place here. Not in my presence, says your Lord. Yield to me. Yield to me and you will find yourself in my holy presence. And then take off your shoes and stay, stand, remain, abide. Chill a bit. Just enjoy the holy presence of your Lord. Let's pray. Many of us uh, 
this morning, Jesus, have known you as our Saviour. We want to acknowledge the importance of knowing you as Lord. There was a half hour of silence in heaven. In anticipation of that seventh seal. And it's good to have just a little bit of quiet now. In which to anticipate the presence of the Lord. He invites you this morning to yield. To acknowledge who he is. And to fall on your face before him. For this is holy ground. I wonder what you've been circling on. I wonder what you've been trying to resolve. I wonder what, what it might be for you that keeps you from holy ground. And I invite you this morning to surrender it, to yield to him, And declare him as Lord. You've declared him as Saviour. Now declare him as Lord. You've been listening to the Eltham Baptist Church podcast. If you'd like to hear more or simply pay us a visit, go to www.elthambaptist.com.au.